Hello and welcome to another episode of Bombs Away, a Minnesota Wings podcast. I am your host, CJ Baumgartner, and we're talking all things Minnesota Twins as we are less than a week away from opening day. We finally made it through spring training. We've gotten through that slog, and now we're ready to talk regular season Minnesota Twins baseball. It's super exciting, and we're going to try and do more episodes as the regular season begins. Uh, you know, there's not a, I mean, there can be more content. I can make more content. I could split things up a little bit, but I think once we get into the heat of the regular season, I would like to have multiple episodes episodes a week, whether it be two, whether it be three, kind of depends on uh, schedule, kind of just depends on what's happening with the Twins. But as we get ready for the regular season, I'm ready to go. Um, any news and notes that we need to take care of outside of the Minnesota Twins mainly just relies with the World Baseball Classic and that final game and baseball getting what it wanted in a Trout versus Otani matchup uh, with a chance for World Baseball Classic Supremacy, now Shohei Otani made Mike Trout look foolish as Shohei Otani makes a lot of batters do. And I think it goes to show you how great of a of a pitcher Otani is in the fact that he can do that to the best. And we forget Mike Trout was the best player in baseball and people were talking about better than Babe Ruth with Mike Trout. And now people are having that conversation about Otani that he's better than Mike Trout. And it's just been a phenomenal showcase of baseball. Imagine if Trout and Otani played on the same team, just fascinating stuff. Uh, but anyway, uh, baseball got what it wanted and that Trout versus Otani matchup was fun. It was a little anticlimactic because it was a strikeout, but at the same time still was a, a super fun match. I was on the edge of my seat watching that and people can look at it. And I think other people can have their takes, but I mean, it was a great at bat now that some of those pitches, I mean, like a, a 90 some mile an hour slider coming off the plate, uh, you know, fastball at one Oh two, going away. I mean, there's just, there's some things that not even Mike Trout is going to hit because no matter how good that the best hitter in the world is, if you think Mike Trout is, if you think Otani is, they still get out one third of the time against, you know, average pitchers against, you know, the, the normal pitchers that they're used to facing. They only get on, they only get a hit less than a third of the time. And even now in modern baseball, some of the best hitters in the league get a hit less than a quarter of the time. So it's just, it's hard to hit off pitching and Otani makes it even harder. Um, Chris Russo, who's uh, got his own show on MLB network of all places was on first take the suppository of all stupidity. And he basically was like, that's ah, not a big deal. I'm from New York. We don't care about that. We don't care. And it just, it, it really is frustrating that a guy who should be talking about the game in a positive way just basically says it's not for me. So this Trout versus Otani thing, he basically went on to say, cause uh, Mike Trout strikes out a lot and he goes on to compare him to like DiMaggio or to Ted Williams or to whoever, and not even comparing eras, not even comparing modern stats. I mean, just, I had to listen to some of the Russo interviews when Correa first resigned with the twins and just his reluctance of, well, it's not a big market. So why should we really care is, just annoying. And uh, frankly, some of those people are bad for baseball because you can't grow the game if you're just stuck in some of these ruts that they are. Now, I'm not saying that older baseball fans are wrong or that they have bad takes, but sometimes when you rely on those two things solely as the crutch, you can come up with some pretty crappy takes. And that's what Chris Russo had talking about the World Baseball Classic. I've been a big defender of the WBC, and I thought that it was the best WBC 
ever possibly now of course i'm partial to 2017 when team usa won the the darn thing remember watching that one closely as well adam jones with that monster uh home run robbing catch and whatever anyway so that's the world baseball classic i thought it was awesome and those are my thoughts on that although i will never forgive the japanese for this incursion Oh, well, anyway, um, talking about the Minnesota Twins, now that we can focus back to Major League Baseball and we can talk about everything that is to come with the regular season beginning for the Minnesota Twins, it appears that we are getting closer to what the 26-man opening day roster will look like. Now, according to a tweet from Doheen Park of, uh, of he covers the twins for MLB.com. That's the best way to put it. Uh, he said, with today's roster moves, which uh, had... Uh, the Twins reassigned Danny Colomay, Aaron Sanchez, Kyle Garlick to minor league camp. Um, the Twins now have 32 players in camp, but five of them with Henriquez, Winder, Polanco, Kirilov, and Celestino are are going to start the season on the IL or an extended spring training. The other is depth catcher Tony Walters, who I'm sorry is not making this team unless Jeffers or Vasquez is hurt, and I don't see a situation like that happening. So let's look at the Twins' 26-man roster for this season. So starting off with the pitching, it has been confirmed that Pablo Lopez is the Twins' opening day starting pitcher for 2023. I think this was expected. I think Sonny Gray had a case. Joe Ryan had a case for being last year's. Kenta Maeda was 2021 uh, opening day starter. And Tyler Malley has been the opening day starter before. For Cincinnati, so there's a case for every single guy on the Twins, uh, on the Twins pecking order of pitching. And here's what they decided for the starting rotation to start the season. Here's how they're breaking camp. It is Pablo Lopez, Sonny Gray, Joe Ryan, Tyler Malley, and Kenta Maeda. And I had it in my notes before I looked at this tweet from Do Hyung Park, and that's exactly what I said. This rotation would be Pablo Lopez because. When the Twins traded Luis Arise for Pablo Lopez, you can't then, when you trade the batting champ and you trade your team's best pure hitter, and you trade him and you say, yeah, he's going to be like our fourth starter. You're just not going to do that. Uh, I know the Twins sometimes don't care about the public perception, for better or worse, and this is a situation where you just can't. When you gave up what you gave up to get Pablo Lopez, he has to start the season as your opening day starting pitcher, and that's what the Twins are doing. And by the way, Pablo Lopez has looked sharp in Twins spring training action. I'm I'm trying to uh, locate the right stat with the Twins uh, uh, throughout spring training, the Twins... uh, uh, pitching stats and it's a little tough because most places are now kind of moving towards the opening day rosters i'm trying to look here but in terms of uh uh the twins starting pitching uh sunny gray pitched three shutout innings in a spring training game against atlanta today um you have guys like pablo lopez who have looked sharp pablo lopez in four starts uh has pitched nine uh has pitched nine innings throughout this stretch and has looked really good um, through his pitching. I mean, there's some clunkers here and there, but I think Pablo Lopez is the Twins' most talented starting pitcher. I think if you're looking in terms of talent, you and maybe ceiling, it's Lopez, and then you have Ryan, and then it kind of falls behind with maybe Mali, Maeda, 
Uh, maybe Mally Gray Maeda. Gray, Gray and Maeda, you kind of know their ceilings, but Maeda's a little clunky with the injuries. But either, but I digress. The point is, Pablo Lopez, the opening day starting pitcher, his fastball's good, doesn't have a ton of heat. His changeup is phenomenal. Probably one of the better changeups a twin starting pitcher has seen since Johan Santana. A guy who Pablo Lopez, being from Venezuela, has idolized for uh, for all intents and purposes is Santana. Now his changeup, of course, isn't on the level of Johan's, but uh, still a phenomenal changeup. And that's really the key to his game is that fastball changeup part of his repertoire. And I think Pablo Lopez will be a good starting pitcher for the twins this season. He's got a little clunkers here and there, and probably he pitched 180 innings last year for the Marlins. And I don't see him getting to that number. Although we'll talk in a second about twins starting pitching length because Sonny Gray had some interesting things to say. We'll get to that in a second, but I think he pitched 180 innings last year. And you got to look at who his manager was because Pablo Lopez has never gotten close in his career to pitching that many innings. His manager was Don Mattingly. And Don Mattingly is about as old school as you can get. Now he's no longer managing the Marlins, uh, but he's about as old school as you can get uh, for a manager in 2022 last year. So for him to pitch all those innings was just more an old school manager riding with this starter. Now I like that. I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with that, but I think now when you go from here, from there to here with playing with Baldelli as the manager and Falvey and Levine running the show, you're n- I'm not going to say it's going to go down to 100, but it's certainly going to be closer to 100 probably than 180, barring a dramatic shift in philosophy. But again, we'll get to that later on. So Pablo Lopez, I think, will be a very good starter for the Twins this season. Sonny uh, Gray, excuse me, uh, the Twins' number two starting pitcher this year. It seems earned. He was probably going to be the number one pitcher for the Twins breaking camp, but he just wasn't quite healthy. And he was the union rep for Cincinnati when they were doing the lockouts, and he didn't come into this season ready. And he didn't come into the 2022 ready, I should say. So now he's coming into this season fully healthy, fully ready to go, and uh, has the proper number of spring training starts, innings, and pitches thrown to be ready. So Sonny Gray, he looked sharp in a start today. I believe no base runners. The only one allowed uh, was one, but it was a hit by pitch. So Sonny Gray feeling it. Uh, He's a veteran. I think you do have to give it to him in that situation. Sonny Gray, again, he had a good, but not great season. Probably the twins, him and Ryan were the twins best starting pitchers last season. And Sonny Gray was battling some injuries again, never fully healthy from the get go. And it kind of lingered throughout the season. Cause I think he went on the IL after the very first start. Uh, so when you look at uh, Sonny Gray, he should have a better year coming in more healthy year two, being with the twins now being in the system uh, has a full off season to be with the twins. I think that'll help a lot as well. So Sonny Gray, by the way, also the leader of that twins rotation. He's that veteran presence and a guy that everybody looks up to. And I think Sonny Gray was a big help for the twins last year. And now with the year of being in this clubhouse definitely brings his own sense of energy. And we'll get to that with Sonny Gray's comments about the twins and, and lengths that the starters go. And he had some interesting comments and some stuff that he vocalized last season that he kind of reiterated again, but I think Sonny Gray will have an ERA probably in the three and a half range. He'll pitch in that 120 innings number 120 to 140, and he'll be added value to the twins. Now, when you look at Joe Ryan, the biggest thing for him is, can he take the next step? He was on 
uh, a nice level. He was the Twins opening day starter last season, showed some flashes of being a good starting pitcher. The Twins kept him really on an innings limit because he never pitched a full Major League Baseball season before. They wanted to stretch him out and they wanted to really take their time with that, hence why he got pulled from some starts early. He had a no-hitter that he got pulled from against Kansas City in the middle of September that caused a real stir, and I think I even talked about it on my podcast Um on an episode of Bombs Away, go check it out. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Also now on YouTube, but go back to the Apple and Spotify, wherever you get your podcast portion to go find my thoughts on Joe Ryan getting pulled in that start. You got to let him finish. It's a no hitter. That season wasn't going anywhere. You had to let him try. You had to let him go for it. And the Twins not doing that was really a disservice to Ryan, but I digress. That's kind of backtracking here just a little bit, but Joe Ryan needs to take that next step if he really wants to get into that ace category. Cause I think a three starter is right where Joe Ryan, if he plateaued in his career on a, on a, Deep rotation would be a three on a not so great. If he was on the Cincinnati Reds, he'd be the opening day starter or a team like them. I know they have Hunter Green. But if you're on the Pittsburgh Pirates, you're probably the opening day starter. But if you're on this Twins team, you're a number three starter. If you're on the Dodgers, you're a three or four starter. It's how some of these things work. And I think for Ryan to take that next step up, he just has to be a little bit more dominant. Get those strikeout numbers up just a, a little bit more, you know, and do the natural things that you want a starter to do. Bring that ERA down just a little bit. Get a little more velo on the fastball, all, all that jazz. That's, you know, I haven't had a chance to really deep dive on Ryan in a little bit, so I'm sure maybe I'm missing the boat on a couple things, but that's the thing is Ken Joe Ryan, he's in that Jose Barrios category of like, you're good, but not great. And can he get to the level that Jose Brios never really could and still is really having a tough time doing in Toronto is can you break through and become a top of the rotation starter? And Ryan is another chance to do that this season. Tyler Malley is the other arm, of course, acquired by the twins at the trade deadline last year. Uh, could very well have made a case for an opening day starter. He's the fourth starter on this twins team. He had some shoulder issues last season that appears to be behind him and he's ready to go. Malley's had a bit of a rocky spring. And as we'll talk about with him and Maeda having a, you know, I just talked about Lopez and gray having great springs. And now I'm going to say, don't worry about the guys who had a bad spring because really you can't look at some of these numbers, all the time. Now, when they look good, they look good. But also, how are the hitters working on something? Are the hitters doing, you know, are the hitters, they're not worried about the necessarily on-field results. They're more worried about the process. And the same thing goes with pitching, is if you're the Twins, how worried are you about, if you're Mally, how worried are you about giving up base hits? Or are you worried about process? Or are you about getting into your rhythm? You know, your slider's going to get hit today, but darn it, you're going to figure out how to locate it. Your fastballs, you know, how are you going to put it here? How are you going to work it in this situation? So there's a bit of a cop-out, but I think over Malley's career body of work, I have no reason to think that he won't be a solid starter for the Twins. And he was solid in the couple starts he was able to pitch in before being sidelined with the shoulder soreness. So I think Malley, again, I think this Twins rotation is full of Bs. There are no A-pluses. There is no Max Scherzer. There is no Justin Verlander. There's no Shohei Otani. There's no Jacob deGrom on this team. Pablo Lopez, again, you could make the case for him being a three-starter on a really good team. Pablo Lopez wasn't really the opening day starter on his own team in Miami. He's got Alcantara, who's the the reigning Cy Young award winner. But then there's also Max Meyer, the gopher kid. There's also a whole bunch of other arms that could take his spot. Uh, There's Ed Cabrera. Uh, there's a few others 
with that Miami team. They're really deep in pitching, which is why they were able to trade Pablo Lopez to the twins. But my point is that uh, uh, my point is with, with the starting pitching for the twins is that it's full of, it's full of bees. It's above average arms. It's a lot of twos and threes, but there's no Matt Schumacher's. There's no Dylan Bundy's. There's no Chris Archer's rounding out this team. And that I think will be the twins biggest strength. And the fact that Bailey over a guy who pitched well enough for almost every other major league team to be on the major league opening day roster will start the season in St. Paul. He just got option today. It's, it's all over now. It's Jober. It's whatever you want to say. Bailey Ober is not going to be on the twins opening day roster, uh, which is a shame because I think he's earned it. But at the same time, like Bailey Ober is going to be down there long. It'll, I, I guarantee you Bailey Ober will make a start in a twins uniform before I'm going to go May the 4th before Cinco de Mayo in that time frame. If he hasn't made a, a start yet, then I'll, then it's honestly a good sign for the twins because it means that everybody's healthy and pitching really well. Because if Bailey Ober has a few nice starts to begin the year, and let's say Kenta Maeda begins to falter, the twins aren't really going to waste a bunch of time on it, I think. But I digress. So Kenta Maeda is the final guy to round out the order, and he's really struggled uh, later on in spring training, which is more concerning than just struggling in general in spring training because towards the end is when the rosters start to round out and people are really starting to lock in for the season. If you have a bad outing in your very first spring training start, you can honestly throw it out the window because you're just trying to get back into the swing of things. But the later on that we've gotten, the more it's troubling it's been for Kenta, but he's a pro. So I trust that he's doing the right things and you got to give him the veteran benefit of the doubt over Ober to begin the season at least. Now, do I think Maeda has a, has a long leash? I don't. The Twins don't have a big financial commitment to him and it's the last year of his contract. So, I mean, does Maeda go right to the bullpen? I doubt it, although there could be room for him as a long reliever. At the same time, I think the Twins really are going to give Maeda every opportunity to continue but I don't think that to continue as a starter, but I don't think that that leash is as long as it would be for a Mally or for an Archer or for, for a Mally or a Ryan or a, you know, whoever on this twins rotation. But with my he's coming out. He hasn't pitched since August of 2021. That's a huge red flag. And so the twins are giving him every opportunity because he's a veteran and he pitched really well in 2020 and would have been the Cy Young if it wasn't for Shane Bieber going God mode that season. So, I mean, he's one ace away from being a Cy Young Award winner just a few years ago. But at the same time, 2023 is now the 2021, 2022. So, you know, you're two whole seasons removed from a 60-game year in which Maeda dominated. And Maeda in 2021 didn't look quite as sharp before needing the Tommy John surgery. So, you know, who's to say? Remember, Kenta Maeda could have came back in September and provided some value as a bullpen arm, and he never came back, and the thought was to rest him, and now they've rested him, and he still is a little shaky, and that's where maybe you could see the Twins start to shorten up that leash on him, especially if Bailey Ober or a Louis Varland or whoever is pitching really well down in AAA. So now there we go. There's the Twins starting rotation. I've kind of given you my outlook on them. Let's take a look at uh, rounding out the Twins opening day roster. So Jorge Lopez is going to be on the Twins roster. Yoan Duran, Griffin Jacks, Caleb Thielbar, Emilio Pagan, Jorge Alcala, Cole Sands, Giovanni Moran. I think that's the final outlook for this team. I don't know quite if Lopez is going to be in that closer role. Doesn't quite sound like it, 
but I haven't also heard anything saying otherwise. Uh, Duran is going to be that firefighter role. He's never going to quite be the closer, like maybe some fans fans want him to be. But at the same time, he's so valuable. It's like Joe Nathan having the Ferrari in the garage. Like, what's the point of having the Ferrari in the garage if you can't use it anytime you need it? So relegating Duran to just the ninth inning, or maybe sometimes coming in to mop up the eighth and finish the ninth, is a disservice to Duran because he can be used in so many other situations, like a runner on second base in the seventh inning with one out in very, very valuable to have a guy like Duran come in to try and mop up that inning rather than save him for the ninth. When it's a one, one game, if you're losing in the ninth inning, you don't get Duran to come in the ball game. So, uh, you know, it's that kind of conversation that I think more fans of baseball are coming around on, but still sometimes just needs to be reiterated a little bit because I get it. I would love for Duran to be the closer. And 15 years ago, you want Duran to be the best. Clo- I mean, he'd be one of the best closers in baseball, but right now he's a firefighter. He cleans up messes. He's a fixer uh, for Griffin Jacks, Caleb Thielbar, Emilio Pagan, Alcala Sands Moran for Jacks. Of course, he's coming off a nice season last year. Uh, moving to that bullpen role. He'll be a high leverage inning guy for the twins. And I think is very well earned. He's found his nice little niche in the bullpen. And again, does he take a step back? You know, cause bullpen arms are weird. I think that's the biggest thing with a bullpen arm. It's why that they're not valued as high money wise, because they could have one great season and then one mediocre and then a great, good, bad. There's no predicting bullpen arms they're very very fluky especially when they catch fire so is griffin jacks a fluke or is griffin jacks here to stay as a long-term twins bullpen option i think it's more towards the first one but you know again i think he just profiles really well as a guy who'd be a good reliever anyway uh caleb thielbar just keeps going the great stories he's just turned into a solid major league baseball player the twins main lefty out of the pen and really they trust him so much that they'll bring him in against righties too. So it's not just when it's a lefty lefty matchup, they'll bring him in even against right-handed hitters because they trust the veteran presence. He's crafty. He does all the things well that you want your lefty to do. Well, doesn't throw high heat all the time, but again, just able to do all the little things right and really hone in on his game. Emilio Pagan gives up way too many home runs. That's, that's his story, his stuff. And the reason why the twins, paid him millions of dollars to come back when everybody else wanted to run him out of town on a rail by the all-star break last year is because his stuff and stuff plus, I think is the stat to use in this situation is one of the best in baseball. He's got the best stuff, like the movement on his pitches, the spin, whatever. He's really, really talented in that department. It's just never shown itself through. And it's been multiple teams for Emilio Pagan, whether it's been San Diego, whether it's been Tampa, whether it's been the other stops in between, Pagan has never been able to hone in on being that really talented reliever that he has the potential of being. And again, he tries hard. I think it's not like that he's a bad person or anything i don't think it's a lack of effort it's just never materialized and i don't see any reason for it to materialize this season now the benefit for the twins is i think Pagans had such a lousy spring that he will be relegated to mop-up duty and to kind of long relief or at least he won't be in high leverage innings at the same time He's got to keep that home run ball down if he wants to be able to get in that spot because he throws really good pitches, or at least the stuff is really good. But when it gets hit, it gets hit hard and it gets hit 
far with Emilio Pagan. Jorge Alcala, I have an article on him for his own coverage. He suffers from a little bit of the same issues as Pagan. Alcala's got great stuff. Alcala throws a heater of a fastball, and he throws a lot of the slider. But Alcala needs to keep the ball in the yard. And another thing with Jorge Alcala is in 2021, he was not great in high leverage situations. So he really needs to improve upon that if he wants to get in that spot. Uh, Cole Sands is a guy who uh, I think can be a nice long reliever, can piggyback maybe if Maeda needs a few starts that he's not quite ready to go. If you have to make him only pitch four innings, maybe if uh, just a mop-up duty, I think Cole Sands fits that role. Giovanni Moran is the second lefty in this Twins bullpen, and he can craft himself out a nice little role, again, on days where you can't use steel bar. And again, in 31 games, uh, Moran had an ERA of, 2.3 he had a one had a whip of just over one which again not ideal but not horrible either so moran is a guy who's got some potential and he's only 20 i believe 25 so there's definitely a lot more room to grow uh with there's definitely a lot more room to grow with giovanni moran all right so that's the twins bull uh pitching staff Vasquez, Jeffers are the two catchers. We all knew that coming into the season. The Twins infield is where things get tricky because looks like Jorge Polanco is going to start the season on the IL. Same with Alex Kirilov. So that opens up first base and second base. And first base is likely going to be Joey Gallo at first. And then you'll have Trevor Larnick who makes the team starting in left field. So maybe let's go about it this way. Let's go about who the twin who's on the twins roster. So in the infield, you have Nick Gordon, who's going to be on the team, Carlos Correa, Jose Miranda, Donovan Solano, and Kyle Farmer. The outfield will be Willie Castro, who's a non-roster invitee who looks like he beat everybody out to make the team. So Willie Castro can play some infield, can play some outfield. And I think that versatility and the fact that he's a switch hitter providing more versatility, I think that's the reason why the twins went with him over maybe some other non-roster invitees and the fact that he's had a nice little spring for himself he's 25 years old spent some time with the tigers so maybe you figure get him on this club maybe he can carve himself a nice little role out as a platoon player joey gallo of course max kepler byron buxton michael a taylor and trevor larnick round out the 26 man opening day roster and again Teams can only have 13 pitchers on the roster and all major league baseball teams are going to use that max number. So 13 pitchers, 13 position players map out the twins opening day roster. What does the ideal lineup look like of this team? Cause again, the opening day lineup might feature Gordon. It might feature farmer at second base, you know, Solano versus Gallo depends on who's pitching depends on the matchups. And that's how the twins are going to patch this lineup together. Again, think of the Minnesota twins as Tampa Bay light and the things that Tampa Bay likes to do. The twins try and mimic Tampa Bay, the Joe Madden days, when you look at Ben Zobrist, there's a guy who could play first base and second base and shortstop and third base, and he can maybe play the corner outfielders. They use players like that. They use players who could play multiple positions and hit in multiple situations to try and have a different lineup every single day to try and make the best possible combination against a certain pitcher or a certain team. But how does the Twins lineup look, relatively speaking? I think it's Byron Buxton in center field, obviously, uh, ideally, but Byron Buxton is going to start the year as the designated hitter. So 
Byron Buxton at DH means Michael A. Taylor in center field. You'll have Trevor Larnick in left field. You'll have Max Kepler in right field. Jose Miranda at third base. He had the shoulder issues, but it looks like that's behind him. He's gotten a few spring action uh, at third base. Jose Miranda at third. Carlos Correa at shortstop. And I think the battle for second base is going to be platooned between Nick Gordon, who's gotten a lot more time at second base now, and Kyle Garlick. I think those are the two at second base. Now Donovan Solano could also get thrown into that mix, but I think Solano and Joey Gallo will be battling time at first base. Solano being a righty, Gallo being a lefty. The matchups kind of find themselves very favorable there. Jose Miranda can also swing across at first base, but I think if you're the twins, I think you really try and let Miranda develop as a third baseman before you cast it away. Because if, let's say, Brooks Lee or uh, Royce Lewis comes back, and maybe third base is an option for this team uh, on the Twins. I think the Twins want to give Miranda every single opportunity to earn third base or to at least show that, okay, yeah, he's not a third baseman. Let's go first base DH for uh, Miranda. But I think that's, and then you have, of course, uh, Christian Vasquez behind the plate as the primary catcher in like a 60-40 split of playing time with Ryan Jeffers. Um, it's not going to be, again, Vasquez came here to be the starter. He's paid to be the starter. Jeffers has shown maybe he needs still another year or two to quite develop into that starting caliber, uh, starting caliber catcher, but it's not going to be like a Joe Maurer catches five days. And then Mike Redmond catches the Sunday day game. It's not going to be that situation. You're going to see like it's been before with Garver and Jeffers or like with Castro and Jeffers or, you know, last year with Sanchez and Jeffers. That's it, That's how it's going to go. But that's what the Twins opening day lineup looks like. They can flex their depth a little bit now that Solano and Farmer are probably going to be seeing some time with Polanco starting the year on the IL, or at least looking like that's going to be the case. But again, and, and with Michael A. Taylor starting in center field versus, uh, you know, Celestino or having to put Kepler there or Nick Gordon there. Having Michael A. Taylor there, he's a gold glove center fielder. And that's great from a fielding perspective. And Byron Buxton can chill in DH to start the season and slowly ramp back into center field. Here's the issue with all of this is that Michael A. Taylor is a good center fielder. He's not a valuable hitter. Now, that's not to say he's val he's worthless, but he's not as high of a value as Buxton in center field versus letting a better hitter take the designated hitter spot. Buxton is taking the DH spot that maybe, let's say, when uh, uh, Kirilov comes back, Kirilov's the first baseman, and now Gallo goes out to left field. So what do you do with Larnick? Now, does he go back down? Does Larnick platoon with Kepler? Like, how does that work? Whereas and Buxton being in center field means you could slide Larnick, you could slide Kepler, you could slide Gallo into that designated hitter spot and then not have to quite worry about that. Because Michael A. Taylor, like the bottom of the order is going to be some combination of, you know, Farmer and Vasquez and uh, Taylor. Not quite in that order, but in some kind of order. Or maybe Kepler gets thrown in there uh, at the same time. But again, I don't mind Buxton starting the season at DH, but man, Byron Buxton can't, he can't be the DH for very long because I feel like you're not getting the maximum amount of value out of that spot. Now you can counter and say Byron Buxton being valuable matters a lot more than him playing center field for a month and then not playing at all for the next two. But that being said, Byron Buxton hurt himself last season. He hurt his knee, that injury that lingered throughout the year, even though he had a nice year. 
That injury that kept him sidelined for the last month and change was an injury he got in his knee sliding into second base. It's fluky. It's not Byron Buxton's fault, but it's also not Baldelli's. It's also not at, it's not like Baldelli or Falvey saved him by not having him start. I don't even think he was playing in center field that game. Maybe he was, but my point is, is that Buxton has just had the poor injury luck in his career to where now you do lower your probability of him getting hurt without him being in center field. At the same time, it's still not zero. And I just sometimes feel like you just need to put Buxton out in center field more than what the twins did last season. I understand the logic and I agree with it at times, but I still just can't get over not having him play more center field because of how much added value he, he brings, but I digress. So that's how the twins opening day lineup looks like. And there's a whole bunch of avenues we can go down talking about the twins opening day lineup, but one, we have to talk about the corner outfielders to wrap up the season uh, in that regard. And also we do need to talk about the last little tidbit. I want to talk about with news and notes for the twins is that um, Sonny Gray's comments about the twins innings limits for starting pitching. I know we kind of ducked away from the starting pitching for a second, but let's go back into it. So there was a quote that Phil Miller of the star tribune put out on Twitter and it's been making the rounds. It's really kind of uh, blown up. And Phil Miller's tweet says Sonny Gray declared himself ready for the 2023 season after three shutout innings versus Boston today. Sorry, it was Boston. I said Atlanta earlier. Uh, then added this interesting comment about the Twins 2023 rotation. And Sonny Gray said, I don't think we're interested in going four innings and being happy. I feel like we had a group last year that was pretty content with going four innings and going four innings and five innings is considered a good start. I disagreed with that then. I disagree with that now. But I feel like just the guys that we have aren't content with it either, which is what you want, especially as a rotation. You want to build off each other. You don't want to go out there and throw four innings and walk away happy about it. To which I replied on Twitter is that gif of, of South Park where uh, the shop teacher and Mr. Mackey and the principal all throw Cartman under the bus as it's like literally throw him under the bus because they're trying to distract from something. Uh, anyway, gr funny episode of South Park. Go watch that. But um, it's that's the thing is he's basically taking shots at how the twins did things last year. And of course, it's caused a flurry of reactions because there's a lot of very traditional minded baseball fans and mainly twins fans who say, take that, rockhead, and yeah, the, like I, and, and I get it, I get it, because I've been on the podcast last year saying I wish starters would go longer, but and I said on the podcast even a year ago, or in the middle of last summer, on the Bombs Away podcast, saying I get where Sonny Gray's coming from, because he voiced his frustrations about only going five innings, a start, or four innings, at one point after a game during the regular season, and to which... I said, like, I get where he's coming from. I would be frustrated too. And I am frustrated that the twins don't let you go longer. At the same time, Sonny Gray really never earned the opportunity to pitch that deep into games, nor did really the twins staff as a whole. Joe Ryan was good, but the twins, and this is the twins judgment. I would have let Sonny, I would have let Joe Ryan pitch longer into games. The twins said he's never pitched a full major league baseball season. It's not as long as the minors. It's not as long as college. And we want to stretch him out. We don't want to hurt him. And especially towards the end of last season when the Twins already weren't making the playoffs, there's no point in extending him, uh, in, ex in overstretching that arm 
for next season. But you had guys like Chris Archer who could only go three innings sometimes. Some, some of his starts were bad. Dylan Bundy could only go four or five innings. He was bad. Uh, Dylan Bundy, by the way, actually a second on the Twins in innings last year behind Joe Ryan. Dylan Bundy pitched 140 innings. Now that's because I don't think he missed the start, but still depressing. And I think that goes to show you is this Twins rotation is different from the one last season. For all those who, uh, people who are saying, oh, well, Baldelli, you'll still never let him pitch beyond that. Great for him for showing some balls against Baldelli, and he, they'll never do that. And maybe they won't. I'm not here to say for a fact that they won't. Maybe they do. Maybe that is their philosophy. But also, the Twins' rotation last year was horrible. And the more the season went on, the worse it got. The Twins had Dylan Bundy and Chris Archer because they were hoping that, again, we talked about this with the starting rotation. They were the Ds on the back of the rotation. They were the C-minuses and the D-pluses weighing down the grade point average of the Bs of Sonny Gray and... Joe Ryan, and I'm trying to think of who that, I think Bailey Ober was also on that Twins opening day rotation. So those guys were getting weighed down by the other two. And of course, Ober couldn't stay healthy and Sonny Gray couldn't stay healthy. So Sonny Gray couldn't really stay healthy. So there was no incentive to pitch him longer into games. And Sonny Gray, again, was a good pitcher, but he was limited. And the whole Twins staff was limited. When you look at the numbers from last season, and this on baseball reference, you can see the amount of times throughout the order. So this is uh, the Twins. Uh, actually, let's start with league average. So the league average uh, for Major League Baseball, first time through the order, the on base per uh, the OPS was 688, so on-base plus slugging, 688 the first time through the order. The second time through the order, it's 719 for an OPS. The third time through the order, it's 770. So look, and I mean, there are some times where a guy gets through the order a fourth time, but that rarely happens, and we're just going to count the, the first three times through the order. And naturally, like every team, because people with the Twins would say, you know, well, it does go up the third time through the order, in which case people would say, well, so does every team. So what makes you so special? The Twins were bad. So the OPS goes up almost 100 points, about 90-some points throughout the season in talking about uh, through the order. So from the first time through the order to the third time through the order, it goes up about 100 points in OPS, about 90 points. Now, for the Minnesota Twins... Their OPS was actually better the first time through the order. They had a 623 OPS the first time through. The second time through the order was a 774 OPS. So the league average in baseball for the second time through the order, uh, or the through the third time through the order, the Twins were higher than that by the second time through the order. And the third time through the order, the Twins had an 825 OPS. That's bad. That's not good. In terms of batting average, the Twins, third time through the order was a 287 average. The league average is 264. The Twins, 262 average. The second time through the order is just two points below the league average on the third time through. The, uh, the Twins were not doing well the third time through the order. They were one of the worst teams in baseball. So why would you let them do that. Why would you, they're already struggling. Why would you go through that for the sake of having a starter pitch six innings if they're going to get into the fifth inning or get into the sixth inning and get pulled after only getting one out and giving up an extra couple more runs? 
they were in a bad spot and it's a bad spot of the twins own making. I'm not saying the twins are like, woe is me. What do we ever do? They put themselves in that spot. Their internal pitching did not develop the way they wanted. Jordan Belazvic had an awful year last year. Bailey Ober couldn't stay healthy. The twins coming into the season did not want Bundy and Archer to be in the starting rotation roles they were in at the beginning of the year by the all-star break. And that didn't happen. And even by the end of the season, Dylan Bundy and Chris Archer were starting games for the Twins. That was not according to plan. That was not the Twins' plan. And it just kind of evolved into that situation. Now you could say, CJ, the Twins still do want that situation. In which case, if the Twins still want to do that with the starting pitchers they've acquired, then that's on them and that's baseball malpractice. But also, if the Twins wanted to pursue that strategy of only letting your starters go four innings, then they need to have a better bullpen than what they put together the last couple years. Uh, Now, Jorge Alcala going down really hurt them, and uh, the fact of just not Pagan not developing the way that they wanted to, the Twins' bullpen outside of Duran jackson Thielbar for the first half of the season was a mess. And Also, just looking at that, if you're going to have your starters only go four innings, you need to have a rock-solid bullpen. You need to have a 2017 Yankees or a 2015 Kansas City Royals bullpen that's really going to push your team through the finish line. The starter couldn't get it done, but we have like four really, really good relievers who are just going to mow through the order and it's not even going to matter. The Twins had a handful of good, above-average, solid relievers and Duran, who is on an elite level last year. but. You can only use those guys. The Twins only like to use them for one inning at a time. And when you can only use them for one inning at a time, that means that you're not going to pitch them every day either. And when you're not going to do either of those two things, it means that you have to have not just a good top end of the bullpen. Like I, I thought the Twins had a nice top end of the bullpen, and they still do this year. But one through eight is not deep. And it was not deep last year. And Look, I think it's a lot better this year now that you have, uh, you know, Lopez is in the mix and you kind of know where Pagan sits in the pecking order. So he's going to be lower. Uh, Cole Sands and Giovanni Moran can do, they showed some promise. But again, there's, uh, Uncle is still coming off injury and Moran's still young and Pagan still is a huge question mark. There is question marks on the back end of this Twins bullpen and the Twins brought in no external options on a major league contract to fix the bullpen. And all the guys the Twins brought in are all going to be in St. Paul, and they're all depth options. So the Twins really haven't done anything to fortify the bullpen. But again, I digress. So that's the way to look with this Twins team. I know that everybody's upset about the starting rotation, and you want it to go deeper into games, and I want it to go deeper into games. I wrote an article about it for Zone Coverage over a month ago, saying the Twins need to trust their starters to go deeper into games. They do. It's a better unit than it was last season, and they need to have that trust. And if they don't, Guys like Sonny Gray are going to voice their frustrations a lot more. Uh, You just have the capability. You have the personnel now. So there's a line. There's some twins. I'm defending. I guess I'm not so much defending the twins as I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt that they're going to do the right thing this year as opposed to last year. And I understand why they did what they did last year with not letting the starters go deep. I understand why they did it. I don't agree with it all the time, especially with the way they handled their bullpen. But Again, I'm not here to sit here and bash the Twins and Rock, you know, Rockhead's really funny though. Just as a side note, I love when people ironically and unironically say Rockhead. It is the best. It is really funny. I will laugh at it almost every single time in the comments. Uh, But that being said, 
look, I think this twins, I think the twins will pitch their starters deeper into games. I think their bullpen is not as deep as they want it to be. And I think that their starters are just better. Now you're not going to see it right away to begin the season because no, even though they've stretched out a little bit, you're just not going to see pitchers really go to that sixth, seventh inning consistently until we get to mid-May, until we really get to the dog days of summer is when you're really going to see some of those starters stretched out. But do I think the Twins are going to let their starters consistently get to the seventh inning? No, but I think that they'll let them get through the fifth and into the sixth inning and kind of see what happens. Anywho, let's talk about corner outfielders now because we've uh, talked about enough time and I've rambled enough on this podcast about other things. So Max Kepler, of course, we talked about him a bunch during the offseason. I talked about the shift issues with him. Uh, he really should have been traded this offseason, but he's here. And we'll see how long his leash is. If he doesn't have a great start to the season and Larnick is here and playing well, he could get platooned because the Twins have a lot of lefty corner outfielders. He could get platooned with Gallo. Uh, he could get platooned with Kirilov. Uh, Matt Walner is another option. So again, Max Kepler has a shorter leash than I think maybe we all want to think or maybe most casual Twins fans don't quite realize. Kepler needs to, he's a great defender. His hitting has really gone down since 2019, since the juice baseball has gone away. And he's got one last chance to prove himself with the Twins because he's a free agent after this season. Matt Walner, um, you know, when you look at Matt Walner and Trevor Larnick, they're two of the same guys. A lot of power. The strikeouts are going to be there. They play a decent corner outfield. Of course, Matt Walner being the Forest Lake native, he went down to Southern Mississippi, I think, for college ball, drafted by the Twins. Now he's in the minor league system. Larnick, first round draft pick, college baseball World Series champion, Oregon State, pedigree guy. He's... I, he's shown uh, good promise as a major leaguer before. He just hasn't been able to stay healthy as of a lot of twins players who they're really depending on this season. So yeah, that that's, uh, that's, that's where both of those guys sit with Walner and Larnick. They're guys who need to smooth out their big league games a little bit more with Larnick, just staying healthy, but Walner again, just seeing more pitches but Walner has really earned an opportunity to be on the major league roster. The twins just really don't have room for him right now. Nick Gordon, utility guy, um, could see lots of time in the corner outfields. If Polanco wasn't hurt, I think Nick Gordon's going to spend a lot of time at second base, but can still be a corner outfield bat. I think Larnick being on this team takes away uh, him needing to be out in the corner outfields for a left-handed bat, but could still play there from time to time when need be. Um, He's going to be at second base, though, I think. Uh, Farmer and Solano are two guys who have corner outfield capabilities, but you're probably not going to see a ton of options there. They're righties. You'll see Farmer in that spot more than Solano. And again, maybe Michael A. Taylor in those spots as well in the corner outfielders. Um, but Michael A. Taylor really more as a center fielder, especially with him getting the nod in center field with Buxton starting the season as the primary DH. Uh, Joey Gallo. Starting in left, uh, probably was going to start the season in left field, but now is probably going to start the season at first base. But we'll get a good time between the two. We'll also get some time at designated hitter. Joey Gallo has a big arm. He's a good fielder throughout his career. I believe a gold glove winner in the corner outfield spots, or at least a guy who um, has been runner up or at least been considered for the award. So Joey Gallo can play a nice corner outfield. He's got a big arm, could even play a little bit of center field if need be. Um, but again, the thing with Gallo, he's going to hit for a 167 average. So Twins fans, brace yourselves. Joey Gallo's average will be bad. 
But the question was never that with Gallo. The question is, can he get that slugging percentage up? Can he just mash the ball and hit it over the fence 27 times? If he does that, that's considered a success for Gallo. And if he can get that average up to just north of 200. But don't expect a big average from Gallo. He's Miguel Sano. He's a better fielding Miguel Sano, I think might be the best way to put it. But he's also streaky like Miguel Sano. He can put seasons like 2019 Miguel Sano, and he can also put up seasons like 2021 Miguel Sano. Uh, again, there's a bit of variance there. It's a little harsh to compare him to Sano because Gallo has at least proven uh, more consistency over the course of his Major League Baseball career than Sano has. But in just terms of that archetype of uh, he's Miguel Sano who can play the, who can actually play right field. Miguel Sano really never could. Uh, anyway, uh, Celestino, another corner outfield option. He's hurt really more of a center fielder. We're probably not going to see a ton of Celestino this year. The twins are probably content with letting him cook in triple a, uh, Royce Lewis and Austin Martin, two guys who could play corner outfield spots. Martin, we still don't quite know the severity of his elbow injury. Royce Lewis could be back later in the season. And honestly, you can make the case that the Twins late in the season could still have Buxton at DH and possibly Royce Lewis in center field, which would be wild, by the way, but could be on the table. Uh, Lewis is probably fits more as a center fielder or an infielder, not so much the corner outfield spots, but could be used in that situation if the Twins want to, again, fully maximize a lineup. And especially because Lewis is a right-handed bat compared to the plethora of left-handed corner outfield bats the Twins have. Willie Castro, talked about him, could play a bunch of different positions. He's a non-roster invitee, so again, not good enough to get a major league contract. He's a depth guy, platoon guy. Don't expect a ton from him. Mark Contreras still needs some time to cook in the minors. Again, round, get a little bit... Uh, get a little bit more of the fielding ability developed and, and try and become more of a major league hitter. Kyle Garlick, lefty option, uh, option against lefties. Didn't make the team on a spring training. He's not on the 40 man roster, but the twins paid a lot of money to keep him around. Relatively speaking for a guy of his place in the league, Ryan Lamar, another, uh, r- another right-handed bat to hit lefties. He'll be down in triple a uh, barring that none of these guys go on waivers and, and don't, or, pursue other options. I don't quite know how that works. If some of them get opt outs and some of them don't Emmanuel Rodriguez is the twins. Number three prospect. He's got a ton of power, mainly seen as a center fielder and one uh, publication on Twitter. I can't remember the name of it, so it might not be in my favor called him the next Juan Soto, which again, Emmanuel Rodriguez. If you look at him, he is young. Emmanuel Rodriguez is not somebody who is on the doorstep of the major leagues in terms of his age, but when you look at Emmanuel Rodriguez, he's a guy who has all the tools to be a really, really good baseball player. So Emmanuel Rodriguez, not uh, necessarily on the roster. He's not on the radar with twins prospects, but I mean, he's not really had any time in the high minors, but he's a guy who everybody needs to keep their eye on. If you're going to watch any prospect not named Brooks Lee throughout this season, Emmanuel Rodriguez is the guy. He's got power. He's got some juice with that baseball, and he can play some center field. He'll probably transition more to a corner outfielder as his career goes on, but Emmanuel Rodriguez is the Twins' number three overall prospect behind, I believe, Royce Lewis hasn't graduated from a prospect yet, so it is Brooks Lee, Royce Lewis, Emmanuel Rodriguez as the Twins' top three prospects in the farm system. All right, well, 
that wraps up bombs away. The next time we talk, we will be talking about the regular season and preparation for the opening day series against the Kansas city Royals. It's really fun. And I'm thinking about doing maybe an opening day mailbag an opening day preview or, or something like that uh, to try and get ready for the twins season. So until next time, we'll be talking actual baseball. I'm CJ Baumgartner. This has been bombs away, a Minnesota twins podcast.